Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Now, if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, I'm just going to point out who Ben is and who I am and why you want to listen to us talk about cars for our approximately 45 minutes. Take it away. Tell me a couple of the publications that you've been writing for lately. You can find my work at Haggerty, Motor Trend, Automobile Magazine, and uh, Driving Line. On the other hand, I just have one uh, one publication to plug this week, and that's autotrader.ca. You can see um, related content to the vehicles that we're talking about in that publication. So go ahead, autotrader.ca. Put that in your URLs as soon as you're finished listening to this week's episode. URLs. Yes. Now, I want to talk to you about some BMW products this week, Ben, because that's what we have on tap. We just open up the tap, both taps, and we've got all of these BMWs. And and here in Montreal, you know what else we have in the taps? Tell me. Lead, apparently. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Are you you okay with that? Well, I don't know. (laughs) I guess I have no choice. But, uh, yeah, apparently comparable to Flint, Michigan in some cases, which, uh, if you're not familiar, was a fairly serious lead problem in their water supply. So, anyway, that probably didn't influence my opinions on this week's vehicle that I drove, hmm. which was the 2020 or tw- – no, sorry, not 2020, the 2019 BMW M4 Cabriolet. The M4 Cabriolet. Now, I have um, heard your opinions on the M3 and the M4. I also have opinions on the M3 and M4. Um I think critically, we say that they kind of we kind of they kind of missed a mark with the M3 and the M4. Is that is that you know how we felt about the the last time we talked about these cars? Well, they're very fast cars that just aren't all that engaging to drive, and I think that that's kind of a. Um, I mean, you're dropping the ball if you're BMW and and you're making M cars that just don't really have an emotional connection with the driver anymore, especially when you when you consider how good the M2 is, which is a more affordable coupe that uh, you know offers a lot of the performance of the M4 in a lighter, well, marginally lighter, and smaller package. The M4 Cabriolet, however, is a vehicle that I surprisingly managed to make a connection with, and I have no idea how... Yeah, I have no idea how this happened, and it gets weirder, Sammy, because the version of the car I drove also came with the seven-speed dual-clutch automatic transmission, which is one of my least favorite gearboxes on the market as installed in the M3 and the M4. So I was completely befuddled. By the end of the week, every time I got in the car and put the top down, I had a huge smile on my face, and it was just a lot of fun. And I don't... I have some theories as to why the Cabriolet managed to reach out and touch me in a way that the... (laughs) The coupe just couldn't. Uh, do you have any? Do you have any um, guesses as to why that might have happened? No guesses, but I do like this. I like this discussion. I like talking to you about a car that we're not one hundred percent certain why. We, we have theories. We don't have actual, you know, like this is why it was great with me. We have theories, and these aren't one hundred percent. We can run with these. We can go with them. So, um, is it because it had that little arm that pushes the seatbelt? Forward and, <laughs> no, the, uh, the, the Cabriolet does not have that arm. Or, or no. at least if it does, no, because you have to, uh, because someone could be getting in the back seat, right? Oh, okay. So it's what, which, but someone could be getting in the back seat of the coupe, too. So I, if it had the arm, I didn't notice. And if, <laughs> for those of you who are familiar, Sammy's talking about the weird little T-Rex arm that, like, comes out of the um, seatbelt. Like, not the B-pillar. I guess it's the B-pillar. Yeah, it is the B-pillar. 
and it, it pushes the seatbelt towards you in the M4 and a lot of the 4 Series, to be honest. And uh, in the wintertime, uh, a couple of years ago, it was very, very cold. And when that arm came out, it made this crazy grinding noise, like, and it shook. <laughs> Oh, no. And it, it, it's it's like this frail T Rex tiny arm <laughs> handing you a seatbelt. Anyway, the, okay. the Cabriolet doesn't have that. Uh, what the Cabriolet did have was something called, I believe, the Ultimate Package, which is wow. every single option, including the Competition Package. Now, the Competition Package, you might have heard of a car called the M4 Competition. I have is, heard of that. So that's coupe only. But the competition package, a.k.a. the contents of the M4 competition, can be added to the Cabriolet. Are, are you confused yet? Yep, very. So, so you're telling me this not an M4 competition, but it has the equipment of the M4 competition in the Cabriolet. Exactly, exactly. But you so have to pay a lot for it. You have to, do, you have you to do pay have the to ultimate pay price. <laughs> it is the ultimate price. Although there are other uh, there are other option packages that you can include with the ultimate package, which I thought was a little confusing. But um, in any case, you get 19 more horsepower. So it gives you 444 horsepower. It changes the way the engine it, – it, it's, it's more responsive. It's not necessarily any faster, but it does feel like from uh, if you were to take a stopwatch and, you know, time acceleration, that kind of thing. But it does um, change the personality of the car somewhat. And it also comes with a titanium exhaust system, a a dual mode exhaust system that I think – and this is my my number one theory about the car. uh, I think that the exhaust system plus the top being down allowed me to pierce past kind of that artificiality – and honestly, not great sound that the closed roof models have. Okay. Uh, you, the the most M cars and the M4 and M3 are no exception. They they pipe in fake engine noise into yeah. the cabin, right? Yeah. And this is a new thing. Almost every car company is doing this now. Uh, but if you have a convertible, you you don't do that because you can't pipe in because you just you won't hear it. You you won't hear it at all because you have the top down. And once the top's down, you're hearing the awesome natural soundtrack of the vehicle. And it's it was, I think, the difference maker for me because so much about driving a car is it's 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 oral. Like I need to have that auditory experience. I need to if I can't shift the car, which you can't do in the with the DCT. If I'm not using a clutch pedal, then that other connection that I make with the engine is the sound of the engine. And BMW has managed to tune the M4 to sound so much better than the sedan sounds. And I have no idea how they did that. Okay, so two things. Ben likes his cars with Oral. And and now I've got to talk about this other thing. The noise of the exhaust, especially with these uh, in the past M3s, M4s, was not a great sounding noise. At times, no. it just sound like wet farts just it, zooming past. It was, you, you know, I, I wouldn't go that far because I think that's, <laughs> I think that's a little crass, Sammy. And uh, I, I think that your your oral comment also may be a little blue. But well, it's, not uh, the, it's not that kind of podcast. I would say it was more like a vacuum. Like, okay, uh, yeah. just a lot of hoovering and and whomping and, like, boost being dumped out the back. It, it wasn't anything that – it, it, it was a very industrial type of noise. Right. And now you're saying that this car has a little bit more personality, has a, a, a tone of its own with its uh, titanium exhaust system and one that you can le- really hear through the – Yeah, with the roof down. Yeah, okay, for sure. Cool. And and uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, the M4 convertible comes with a retractable hardtop, too. It's not a soft top. And I think that we're going to lose that in the next model. This is the last time this car – I don't know if there's a 2020 model 
Um, no, I don't think so. So, because we're still waiting for the new 4 Series. We have the new 3 Series. The 4 Series, uh, we've seen pictures of it. It has a, a very large grill, and some people are freaked out by that. But uh, the M4, there, there will be a model either 2021, probably, is 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 likely for that. Um, so it was kind of like a, the swan song of, of this particular car. And uh, it, I, earlier I mentioned the 7-speed DCT. Sammy, what's the worst thing about this transmission? Uh, the inability to put it into park. Yes. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Nailed it. It is a very confusing transmission to use. For anyone who hasn't seen it, the shifter for this, which is, I think, similar to the shifter in the X3M that I drove recently, and I believe the one that's in the M5, although I think those both are slightly different. Um, it's a knob that sticks up from the center console. It looks kind of like a fake manual shifter. And you tap it to one side for neutral. You tap it to the other side for drive. If you want to go in reverse, you have to push it over and up to the left. Right, Sammy? That's that's how it works? Yeah. It, none of it feels the most intuitive. That's and, the one thing. And it, 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 has no parks, it has no park feature. So you, you put it into neutral, and then you pull the handbrake. Yeah. You put does it in neutral. Have a, does that have a handbrake, or it has like a little button? No, it has an actual handbrake. So you can, there's a bunch of ways you can almost not quite turn off the M4. And this is this is where I got used to the shifting. By the end of the week, for the first time, I felt comfortable with operating the shifter. I didn't get lost. It used to be that I would push it forward to go into reverse, and it would just nothing would happen, or it would shift into first gear or something. But I, I figured out all of that. But the park thing and turning the car off is still a hassle because this is it's one, sketchy. It's super sketchy because this is part of the generation of BMWs where they were like, "Hey, you want to turn off the car? Better push the off button twice." <laughs> yeah, that too. I forgot about that. So if the car's in neutral. And you push the off button once, it doesn't turn off the car. The it just turns off the motor. That's yes. It, right? the, the, and then everything else is still on. Everything you can is still, still on. hear the music going. Everything is running. So if you want to turn it off, you have to push the button a second time. Here's but where you it... can't do that with your foot on the <laughs> No, on the brake, if else it turns it on again. <laughs> Here's where it gets tricky. As Sammy has just pointed out, if you have it in neutral... And your foot's on the brake because you're a normal human being. Because you <laughs> don't you hit, trust, yeah. You hit the button again, it starts the car. <laughs> <laughs> so what you have to do, you have to do the parking brake thing every time to turn it off. Or you can just be a badass, leave it in drive, and put your foot on the brake and turn it off. In which case, it will go right to park right away. Yes. None of that is natural. Like, and, and none of that improves the experience of the person driving. So those are things about the M4 that I'm not going to miss. But... I found that I don't know if the the um, competition package changes anything about the transmission programming, but I found in terms of drivability, I really liked what the convertible had to offer with this transmission more so than my past experience with it in the M3 sedan. That's very that's really weird. I'm sorry. That's so unlike you. And I, I mean, we've been doing this podcast for two years. We've known each other before that. This seems really non-Ben. I'm I'm really nervous I, about. What I, I think you, I think you mean three years, Sammy. Uh, sorry, there was that year when you blacked out. Oh yeah, <laughs> and we found you. We found you on the shores of that river. Almost three years, and yes. you didn't remember anything about the podcasting. Everything else, <laughs> but the podcasting was a blank. What a great um, automotive media event that was, though. <laughs> great anecdote to tell your children that you may or may not remember. Yes. Uh, what's the deal with this? How did it, how did it get you so well? I don't understand. Was it the, did you have it in a special drive mode? Did you, did you like 
did it know you? Was it really mild out? Was that maybe the, the situation? <laughs> really like, mild out. Yeah, it was a beat down M4, and that's why yeah. we related to each other. No, exactly. It's not, it's not a buddy cop movie of automotive reviews. But uh, it, 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 like, you know, we've talked a lot about configurability and how BMWs are kind of over configurable in the in the Especially M's. the M vehicles. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So uh, I I just set it to have aggressive engine and regular suspension, and I kept the I actually set the the transmission has like three little but three little. Ugh, it's so hard to explain. I, it is so hard to explain. There's that weird wave. Yeah, there's that a weird, wave it looks button. Like Wi-Fi. Yeah, it's like you, you set it for three bars of Wi-Fi, and then you get <laughs> maximum transmission. Um, so it's I set 3G, it for that. Yeah, and I was happy, and I. I I think it might have to do too with the fact that it's a very heavy vehicle. I think it's like four thousand pounds. So I, I was mostly, I didn't. Uh, it was cold. I, I had the top down the whole time because that's how I roll. But I didn't go to a racetrack. Um, it's, it's really not the season for that here in Montreal anymore. So I was driving around town. I did some highway with it. And uh, it, as a cruiser, I really liked it. And as a car that had a lot of attitude and made the right sounds and everybody was staring at me because I loved the attention. If you're that kind of person, you're going to like this car. The thing is, it's $80,000 okay. <laughs> to start with. That's then, U.S. or Canadian? U.S. It's seventy-seven six. So okay. once you start it, – it's it's about eight grand more than the coupe. So once you start adding all these fa- – like that's just the base model, not the one that I had with all the crazy exhaust and the extra power and stuff. So the once ultimate you, package. You the mean. ultimate package. So once you start adding all this stuff um, – so I'm, I'm building it right now. I'm adding the executive package and I'm adding the competition package, mm-hmm. which is apparently customizable. I don't know what that means. Oh, you can get different trim and stuff. Yeah. Um, Okay, I'm up to $84,000, and there's still the M driver's package, yeah. and, uh, oh, I can, oh, I see, and the transmission, so that's, I'm, <laughs> okay, you can build a $100,000 M4 Cabriolet fairly easily, like, if not exactly 100, then within a few thousand dollars of that. So that's have, a lot of that's a lot of money for a car. And it is a lot, a lot of money of for a car. Cars for a hundred thousand bucks. It's this true. Would, this wouldn't be like it wouldn't be the best one hundred thousand dollar car you could. No, and it wouldn't even be the best convertible under a hundred thousand dollars you could buy. I don't think because if you're looking at pure performance, this is sixty and four point four seconds. I think a Mustang GT convertible is right in this conversation. If all you care about is loud sounds, driving around with the top down, and something fairly comfortable. Uh, the M4 will be more comfortable on longer drives, and it has more features. Whether that's good or bad depends on how you feel about the electronics in the car. But you're not going to be taking either a GT convertible or the M4 Cabriolet to a racetrack, so the the weight doesn't really enter into it. So do you want to cruise around, and uh, do you want to – it looks sharp. There's no, there's no doubt about that. I think the profile of the M4 cab looks better than the coupe because the haunches on the coupe are really big. Um, but the cabriolet, the roofline is – it's the it has to be narrower because it has to fit in the trunk. So uh, I think it benefits from that personally. I think looks. I, I think the looks are not as they're not as polarizing. I think is the best way to put it. The, yeah. it looks a little bit more natural. As, I think you're uh, right. A cabriolet, uh, which is actually really cool. It's a well. I think it's a good transition for BMW and the four series. Um, and but, then I wanted to talk about the the speed. This is you. You mentioned the horsepower at four hundred and four hundred and forty four, and that's the, the base model's four twenty five. So you, that's you don't right. Get a, you don't get a ton of power, but it does change how the engine feels. But does the 
I, one of the things, one of the best things about BMW is that their horsepower always feels like whatever their car is quoted at never quite feels right. It always feels more powerful. You always feel like you're having much more um, motor to play with. Is that still the case with this uh, M4? You've uh, also driven so many other high horsepower vehicles. It's hard uh, to say because because like I said, it was cold, so the tires oh, right. the tires weren't super grippy. Okay. Um, but the car's also very heavy. I think it's four thousand pounds. I don't remember if I mentioned that or not. So it, I mean, that's, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of weight for any sports car. Yeah, well, it's a retractable hardtop. That that really adds to it. Um, I gotta say too, there's almost no trunk space in this car, okay. and uh, I I wanted to before we moved on to the power, kind of going back, uh, circling back to the looks. I recently drove the Cabriolet version of the M850i, which we talked about this summer. So that's BMW's other hundred thousand dollar convertible that you can buy. That car had a lot of trunk space. It wasn't really an issue because it has a traditional soft top. The other thing is, though, I think the M4 looks a lot better than the M-Series Cabriolet, which didn't we both agree it looks better as a coupe? Yeah, that's definitely uh, the consensus on the podcast. So that's that's a little interesting. The smaller and, car... And outside the podcast. I would say I also agree with that, that, so. that opinion outside the podcast. It, the, the, the smaller car looks better with the top off. The larger car looks better with the top on. So, yeah. um, But the there's no question that if you're going to be spending six figures on a BMW convertible, the 8 is way more modern. It has right. a lot more luxury gear in it. It's a lot easier to use. The transmission is – it doesn't have the trick transmission. It has the 8-speed auto. And, and it has a twin turbo V8. M vehicle, you're still getting a really, a really fantastic fast car in the yes. V8 series. And both cars that you're not going to drive um, on a racetrack. Although I will say that the M4 cab will outhandle the larger 8 series on, on a twisty two-lane road. So, I yeah. mean – I don't know if it's the same person is shopping for these. I don't really know that the person buying an M4 Cabriolet cares too much about performance. I think it's more about an image and just it's a it's a smooth car to drive quickly. So uh, I don't think it's really a numbers game for those people. Okay. Anything else you want to add about the M4 uh, Cabriolet? Again, I'm really surprised that you found a liking to this thing. Not to say that the M4 was not a likable car at all. I just found it not really in tune with the enthusiast um mindset you know but- i think i think it was fun uh i think the convertible's fun in a way the coupe isn't cool. and i think that the coupe and the sedan are just serious button down um numbers focused performance cars whereas the cabriolet doesn't have to be any of those things and mm-hmm. when you put the top down on any vehicle it really uh, it really ups the fun quotient so maybe that just kind of gave me a glow that allowed me to appreciate more things about the m4 than i would have normally Okay, uh, I'm going to follow up on something that you said, which was the buyers of this vehicle um, really care about image. The car I'm going to talk about is a vehicle in which image is the only thing that matters to it. And that's <laughs> the third generation BMW X6. This is the brand new X6. It's based on the, on the new X5, which is a fantastic car. Me and you have both talked about this car in the past and loved it, um, with the exception of some of the gimmicky um, features that BMW always throws into all of its cars. Uh, high-end cars. So this is the brand new X6. We want to talk about brand image. This is a car that is so hard for me to look at and love. But I know the fact that I'm, I, 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 may, I may be in the minority. I know that there's a fan base that is in love with the look of this car, which is that coupe-like profile, that chopped-down um, rear quarter look that makes it look uh, so drastically different than um, other vehicles on the road. You know... We just, 
I just complained about how the rear quarters of the M4 are too big. <laughs> and now you're showing me the X6, which has perhaps the largest hindquarters I've seen on a BMW. It just looks like a butt on wheels. <laughs> it's it's like it's like massive it's like so imagine uh, Optimus Prime went to the gym and just did squats, like squats eight hours a day, seven days a week for two years. And then he tried to come back to the Autobots and he was like, hey, guys, uh, how you doing? And he was being all casual, not really mentioning his enormous ass. And everyone was just staring at like these rippling folds of steel that he had built up. That to me is the X6. OK, that's a pretty decent um, uh, interpretation of what goes on in your mind. There are so many <laughs> So many vents and yes, fake vents. <laughs> it's such a bizarre looking car. I like I said, I am not the um my my eyes are not tuned to appreciate this beauty that BMW has crafted. I don't know what it is. There's something up with this car. And I also truly don't know as a result of, of that rear end design, there's a limited usability of this vehicle. That makes it so much less practical than an X5. Um, I, I even I was talking about this in my um, in my review with the with the vehicle, and I, and I was talking about um, the car the cargo capacity of this vehicle with the seats up or seats down is less than a subcamp compact crossover, less than what? a Honda HRV. Wow. Well, the HRV is very big inside. Well, do you have the actual numbers? I had it in uh, in liters. So well, that's just, no good. No one understands what that Nobody is. Nobody knows liters. So <laughs> do you have it in hectares? No, 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 or not kilo yet. Pa- kilopascals. Look, I'll get to that when we do our other. When I do my other international um, reviews and stories on the on the X6. So, so but, here, you want, do you want to hear my X6 anecdote? Sure, hit me with it. So uh, while you're looking up the, diff- the the difference between liters and cubic feet, um, I many years ago I was at the debut of the X6M. And we were at Circuit of the Americas doing hot laps in the car. And uh, I remember I was doing a video. I had a camera on the dash and a camera elsewhere. And I was driving down the back straight of Circuit of the Americas, which is three quarters of a mile long. By the end of that straight, you're doing about 140 miles an hour in this vehicle. And when I was reviewing the footage later... I was just casually talking to the camera and taking one hand off the wheel to to gesture while I was talking at this 140 mile an hour speed. And that's when I realized that I wasn't actually driving. <laughs> it was just like this speed experience that you got to do. It was like it was like, you know, in the space shuttle, the astronauts aren't really flying the space shuttle. They're just in it, right? When it launches and it's doing like however many thousand miles an hour to get to break three free of Earth's gravity and hit the orbit. That's exactly what it was like in the X6. It was like, okay, we're going to do this now, and you're along for the ride, and everything's going to be fine and safe and insulated. So yeah, that's, that's kind of been my X6 impression. That's, I mean, it's it's that's 100 what the 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 vehicle really feels like on the road as well. It never feels like it. You are the master of the vehicle. It is doing everything for you, which is totally okay with some people. It's not an enthusiast vehicle, but. In your situation, was that not the, that was the X six M? It was the M, you, you know, which I is think, supposed to be the one, you, the enthusiast oriented vehicle. Well, no, right? I, I think I think that there's different types of enthusiasts out there, and I think some people just like huge power and don't care about anything else. And I think that the X six M has always catered to them. Um. So okay, I, I don't have that. I don't have that figurement in, in that that 
volume stat in cubic feet. So. Okay, well, it doesn't matter because we're not all that professional. Uh, 20 cubic feet behind, 20 and a half cubic feet behind the rear seats. Is that decent enough for you? That's, that's, that's the exactly same what size. That's what you would find in the trunk of a full-size car. So, like, say a Toyota Avalon. I, I don't know why my mind goes to the Avalon. <laughs> and then... Uh, 1,500 liters, which is 53.8 cubic feet when everything is folded down. So, for comparison, a Honda CRV has 73 yeah. cubic so feet. Like of total 50% more cubic feet. Despite being 50% smaller and having 10% ass. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's what I'm trying to get at. Is I want to tell you, from my dear listener, from my point of view, if you're going to get a crossover, no matter what engine is under the hood, you're going to you should get something that's also practical. I mean, what's the point of an SUV or a crossover if it's not going to be practical at all? Right? Remember the remember the ZDX? Yeah. So that was, I think, the least practical luxury crossover of all time until the X6 existed, and I think they yeah. sold something like three a year. I remember every time I I haven't seen a ZDX on the road in three years. <laughs> I really haven't. And I remember I used to see them and it was an event. It was like when you saw a Tribeca. It was like the mm-hmm. same thing. And I still see Tribecas from time to time. But the ZDX, it might as well not exist. It's, it's, uh. it's like it's like we live in a Stalinist world where, you know, like Stalin used to go and uh, erase people from photos from the past if they had been – if they'd fallen out of favor with the regime. I feel like the ZD – I think like Acura <laughs> went out and bought back every ZDX that was out there and then quietly crushed them and sent them to the bottom of the ocean. Well, there's a lot to talk about with that ZDX comparison. Namely, the ZDX was based on a pilot, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was not... really big and bulky. <laughs> and it was not great to drive. Yeah, it was only the... big on the outside. <laughs> yeah. And I want to talk about the X6 in, the regard... in regards to that how it was to drive was actually really, really impressive. I'm surprised by how decent it was to drive. It's, it's something that uh, BMW deserves a lot of credit for in turning a big SUV into something that is fast, that is easy to drive, and also somewhat rewarding when you, when you want to turn the steering wheel a little bit more quicker than usual, if you want to see how agile the car can be. So it's offered with two engines. I drove the V8, but it's also offered with a inline six that makes 335 horsepower. I want to talk about this V8. It's a 4.4 liter twin turbo V8. It makes 523 horsepower and does zero to 60 in 4.1 seconds. Wow. So that's faster than the M4 Cabriolet I was driving. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not even an M car. No, it's an M. It's called the M50i. That is so close to the X6M, that former top dog of the X6 um, lineup, the outgoing out X6M. Yes. it's so impressive. I'm I'm amazed that BMW has made that much of a jump um, to this uh, new generation. It's of the super crazy. This is a huge vehicle. It's <laughs> over four thousand. It's well over four thousand. It weighs way more than the Cabriolet does, and yet yeah. it's faster. Um, it's, it's insane, right? Like that, that it, there's no, it, that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, how can we, how can we, um, give BMW a hard time when their cars that may not feel as engaging or sporty to drive when they have some of the fastest accelerating, um, cars, no matter the class. I, I don't think I mean? we're giving them a hard time because I don't think it's necessarily true that we don't like the fact that these vehicles are very fast. I think we just have different preferences in some areas. And, you know, I would never own an X6 because 
I don't have room in my life for that type of vehicle. If I was buying an SUV, like you said earlier, I would get something that was more practical. But I understand people who buy the X6 because there are people who walk into the showroom and say, I want the most expensive blank. And then they yes. pick whatever that is. And BMW realized that. And they, you know, they had an expensive X5, but they're like, maybe we could, you know, push this up market a little bit more. We'll sell fewer of them, but we'll have a higher transaction price and we'll get that customer. So maybe they already – I could – you know, <laughs> there are driveways out there that have an X5 and an X6 sitting side by side. That's nonsense. But OK. Uh, I just want to reiterate the curb weight, 5,000 pounds, 5,115 pounds. Which is about what you get in a, a Jeep Grand Cherokee. <laughs> and, and it's 4.1 seconds to 60. Yeah. I mean, the Jeep Grand Cherokee can be pretty quick if you get it with the right motor. Um, but let's get back to this this vehicle. Um, beautiful interior. That's where I really like BMW right now. Their interiors have really come a long way from being kind of conservative yet premium to these really um, customizable, well-crafted interiors that can have gorgeous um, leather, really nice um, accents, really good-feeling switchgear, like not cheap feeling switch gear i have to ask sammy yes you know what i'm gonna ask did it have the swarovski dial did it have the swarovski dial i okay the tester i had did not have uh, the swarovski dial okay. but i believe you can also you can get it um and it has all of those screens it has that nice big digital gauge cluster that shows the line drawing of the maps uh, of the navigation area that you're in or the maps that you're in um and it has the gesture controls as well as the i believe it has the um hey bmw digital assistant as well I wanted to I, – I, I got into this car and I was so curious why people um, – you know, there's certain people who see the X6 and go, oh, yeah, that's my jam. And I still don't get it. Um, and I eventually came to the realization that there's some people are into the image that an X6 brings, that it is about – this is a car that starts – this X6 M50i starts at $85,000 without any any options. And – I think once you start adding the, the the options to it, you'll quickly get into near the $100,000 mark. It's definitely an in-your-face, conspicuous consumption type of vehicle. And I think uh, that's the point. People want to show, I dropped this insane amount of money on this car to show you just how wild it can be. And, and I don't care what it looks like. And it's interesting because there are two BMWs at that price point now in the SUV world. There's the X7 and the X6. And I think the X7 has a much more conservative, classy kind of design to it. Mm-hmm. And then the X6 just goes in the other direction and it's kind of a more is more kind of thing. So BMW is covering both of its bases. Absolutely. Um, I would, I, I mean, I don't know how to recommend this thing because I just don't get it. Like mentally, I don't I, I don't it. think you can recommend it. I think it's the kind of vehicle where if you want yeah. it, You'll go you and get, get it. it. But it's not the kind of vehicle where you're like, hmm, I'm not sure what I should get. Maybe I should get the X6. I don't think that customer no. exists. I, and it's not like someone would, like, sway me on the X6. Like, <laughs> I can't. Convince uh, me that I don't need cargo room. <laughs> yes. I just didn't get it before. I'm not going to get it now. Um, but the X6 drives very well for an S- for an SUV. We also said that about the X5. So I'm not super surprised. But the X5 is truly great. It is it is really um, a pleasure to drive. Exactly. So it, I mean, for that segment, I'm not saying you know, like, I, I, yes, it's a big SUV and it's heavy and all of this and that. But if you had to buy a large SUV, the you could do a lot worse than the X5. I want to talk a little bit. I think I've mentioned this in the past. They have uh, BMW has a full speed adaptive cruise control that will bring the car to a stop 
And a lot of cards do that. But a lot of cards will hold the, the car's brakes for about three seconds, and then they'll turn off the adaptive cruise control system. And maybe it'll hold the brakes for you until you decide to, to accelerate again. Yeah, you have to tap the gas or hit the up on the cruise control. The BMW's, like, patience is 30 seconds. When you come, when the car stops, it can take 30 seconds before it turns off. I appreciate uh-huh. that because Isn't that traffic wild? is the worst. Yeah, I don't understand why more models don't do that. I mean, <laughs> I'll pay for the RAM upgrade that makes that possible. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really impressive. And that's a feature that is not as gimmicky as the backup assistant, which redoes your re- – which backs you up automatically. Does the X6 have that? Of course it has that. It does? But I guess then again it has such poor visibility out the rear half. Yeah, I'm surprised it doesn't like have a feature that just transforms the rear of the vehicle into a screen. <laughs> That's true too. <laughs> An entire – the whole thing or a projection of what, what's behind you. And there is another one of those gimmicky features. Um, there's a sunroof – or a, sorry, a panoramic sunroof that can be amb- – which has ambient lighting that makes it look like a starry night of some kind, which I thought was a – is a that, feature that was previously reserved for um, Rolls Royces. So, Mike, I have a couple questions about that. Is mm. that for if you buy this and you live on a planet that has no stars? Yeah. And follow-up question, are there planets with no stars? And <laughs> no. follow-up, follow-up yeah. question, if you live underground, that's probably a good feature. Yeah, it's great if you're always in those, like, Hyperloop tunnels. Yeah, until, um, unless you're hunting Minox. Exactly. What? <laughs> Just oh, is that? I don't have my Disney Plus subscription up to date yet. You know, I didn't, up to I didn't date. Sign up you have yet. like a Disney minus. Yeah, I have, I have Disney, Disney B plus. It's it's just animation. <laughs> um, so first of all, we live in areas with lots of light pollution. I can't go out and look at the stars every time I want to, Ben. You know what it's like. Yeah, I guess I. Yeah, that's kind of weird, Sammy. <laughs> um, uh, in Montreal, we we do have stars. Uh, Oh. It's it's one of the features that I know you got to leave Toronto behind. You got to you got to stop living that subterranean but exterranean lifestyle. Oh, <laughs> uh, speaking of subterranean, yes, this is the this is a car I just can't see past. It's it looks gnarly, but um, people who love the X6 before will definitely love it. Oh yeah, um, it's it's X6 to the max. I mean, this X6 is more. Yeah, no, it it, it looks it's 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 X sick if you ask me, and um, it's definitely the evolution of where this car is going i don't know if the next generation x6 is just going to be like like quadriceps <laughs> like if that's if that's if it's going to be maybe they could make a six by six version like they did with the uh, g-class uh that would be pretty cool i um, want to talk about the pricing though again i'm gonna bring up the pricing this is a car x6 m50i starts at eighty five thousand dollars. it has so many features and options that you can add to this car that I think maybe should have been perhaps um, standard in some way or another, like window shades, um, a, a heated heated front seats and steering wheel. Yeah, a heated seats dashboard. should definitely. If you're paying eighty five thousand, I think you should probably get heated seats. Alcantara headliner, um, the four wheel steering. These are all features that I think maybe should be standard in a car uh, that costs this much. And then I also need to add to you, you know how you can tell what an X6 is on from the outside in the daylight, right? Well, yes. If you have eyes, you can generally identify most vehicles. One of the biggest issues is that people want their cars to be identifiable at night. 
Um, and one of the easiest wait, ways wait, wait, to wait, identify wait. Are, yeah. where do you where are you getting that that data point? <laughs> did, you, did you just come up with that? Like that's yeah. Big, sorry, I don't stop have, the I, press. I just, <laughs> okay, fine. I'll just say, what if you are the type of person who wants everyone else to know that you have a BMW by its grill at night? The the obvious answer is an illuminated badge that's larger than the windshield. Not a badge. The illuminated grill. Okay. That's what you get. Well, That's the Lincoln Navigator had an illuminated badge on the grill. Remember that? No, that was just the badge. I'm telling but you. But it was the, the badge entire... was the size of your face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, the entire grill is illuminated in this car. Okay, so Great. you have to know that that's – you still have to know it's an X6 though because unless unless you just think it's someone who put LEDs – does it also come with like under-vehicle under, under uh, vehicle Underglow? lighting? Underglow? No. Like neon rider style? No, no, no. Uh, that's it. That's there all was a guy in my hometown when I was growing up um, and this has got to be probably like mid-90s and he had a Ford Ranger. It was uh, single cab, purple. And he had purple uh, neon underglow, and he had neon riders on the back window. And we used to make so much fun of him because I was not a cool person when I was a teenager, and I had a lot of issues to work through. And yeah. one of those issues was not letting people decide how they modify their own cars. <laughs> um, let's let's follow up what we were what we said last week in in the podcast. First of all, we want to know if anyone has listened to all of the episodes of the podcast. Yes, we had so many people reach out to us and say they had listened to all 150 plus episodes of the podcast. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's it's really great to hear that. And everyone who re- reached out to us on Instagram and via the contact page, we really appreciate you being there with us this whole time. Um, and, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm immensely flattered. So uh, without, without you, we wouldn't be doing this. Uh, and Sammy would be so lonely. <laughs> so I, true. Um, and second of all, we also asked people to hit us up with some questions and we got, we, we really shouldn't have asked. We have too many questions to answer now. <laughs> oh, uh, one thing I wanted to mention too, uh, just before we get to the questions is yeah. a lot of the people who wrote to us to say they've listened to everything. They, uh, they're, a lot of them are professional drivers, uh, whether that's trucks, vans, um, uh, people who are technicians, uh, it, it, they, they listen to us while they're commuting, while they're out there, um, breaking up the monotony as, as, uh, one, one person put it, and uh, it's really great that we can help with that. I mean, I know exactly what that's like, and I uh, any any chance to engage the mind and distract from the miles is, is always welcome. But as Sammy said, we had some people respond to our request for questions. Um, Actually, no, the- wait, hold on. Let's, let's move over. Before we go into the questions, we asked Ben a question about his... <laughs> potential Scion XB purchase. Oh yeah, so uh, I had we had several people write in to say yes, drive by the Scion. Actually, a surprising number of you had either owned a Scion in the past, the XB, or had driven one like a friend had lent you one for an afternoon or you driven one for an hour and it made such an impression that you've kind of lamented not having access to one anymore. There are people who are just like I wish I still had this vehicle or I wish I could still drive this vehicle. And all of that to say the guy sold it out from underneath me, and I did not even get a chance to go look at it, Sammy. Wow, I can't it, believe that. It disappeared from Facebook. I contacted him. He's like, I'm going to relist it. I relisted it. I'm like, can I come see you tonight? He's like, I don't know. And then two hours later, <laughs> two hours later, it was gone again. Weird. And it's been sold. And I don't blame him because the price was right. So um, I guess I'm still looking. Uh, <laughs> now the question is: If you're going to be looking at another one, will you be? Will you want it to be a release series one again? One of those like 
um, limited edition special uh, exterior paint versions. The, the thing is, in Canada, beggars can't be choosers because these uh, were never sold here. So whatever comes up is just whatever someone's chosen to import, and there's a very few of them out there. So I'll just have to kind of see what comes my way. Um, but in terms of other questions that we got... We had a, a few people write into us with some specific questions that they wanted us to discuss, and one of those was from Gary, and uh, he wanted us to talk about the the Mustang, the specifically the fake Mustang, <laughs> the Mach E, uh, which is the SUV that is going to be, I guess, um, sullying the name of the the Mustang brand. And uh, Gary is like, he said, I really hope Ford doesn't call it a Mustang. Give it its own name if it's on a new platform. I completely agree with that. But something happened this week that kind of caught a lot of people by surprise, Sammy. Mm-hmm. And they, that was... The Mustang Mach-E was leaked, and it was 100% called the 2020 Mustang Mach-E. Um, this, this is our, your worst nightmare come true. It, it, was, it, was leaked by, <laughs> it was leaked by Ford. They had a product page up on their own website. Mm-hmm. And it had full photos, and not just that, but specifications about the vehicle. So... I have a couple things I want to say about it. Sammy, what do you think about what we've seen so far? About This vehicle is supposed to be uh, unveiled this week at the LA Auto Show. So we've seen it in advance. Sammy, what do you think? Okay, first of all, it's um, the only connections I see to the Mustang nameplate is it has a Mustang pony badge on the front, and it has the the taillights are very reminiscent to what we have on And kind of like vague Mustang headlights, I think. Yeah. The rest of the car, if it wasn't called a Mustang uh, – sorry – regardless of what it's called, has a very unique and very good sounding, it, it seems like a decent package. It, it seems like a great uh, electric vehicle with um, 230, at a minimum of 230 miles of range, a maximum of about 300. That's impressive. And not yeah. only that, but it has a zero to 60 time of what, four seconds, Sammy? For like the, oh, sorry, mid three seconds for the, for the GT top, model. The top trim, yeah. And it comes with, all, it, are rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive? So, I mean, it seems like a pretty decent um, package for an electric vehicle. I think the, I think it's an impressive electric SUV. It should not be named the Mustang Mach-E. I feel like that is kind of a mistake. Yeah, I think they're trying to leverage the Mustang name into um, the the world of electric vehicles. The the shame is that it's a four it's a four door all-wheel drive vehicle. It's a crossover. If it wasn't those items, I would totally be okay with it having a Mustang name, right? It, it, it also it also uh, it gets expensive very easily. Like you said, what forty three thousand for the base model? Yeah, that's before incentives. So before that, before incentives, true. But if you want that that crazy like insane horsepower, three point three and a half second zero to sixty time, you're gonna have to pay sixty grand. Yeah, and that's a lot of money for anything with a Mustang badge that doesn't have a Cobra badge somewhere nearby. Still zero to sixty in three point two seconds. You're gonna complain sixty grand for that? That's pretty good. And it can recharge up to forty seven miles in just ten minutes. Also very nice. So, so, if, so it seems like a good. I mean, I just wish it wasn't called a Mustang. Is yeah, that, I we're think, all gonna I agree think, on that. I think Ford kind of shot themselves in the foot by introducing a really cool vehicle with just not the right heritage. I guess this false heritage. It's yeah, kind of strange. The, the wrong heritage, exactly. Um, I, the, you, there, there's so many other names in Ford's history that if they wanted to tarnish them, they could have done that <laughs> with with a different model. But hey, we'll see what happens. I mean, maybe there'll be – I'm sure there'll be more information coming from L.A. next week. But Why that's kind would of, they call it the Thunderbird? 
because they didn't I guess maybe they have limits. <laughs> I mean, the Thunderbird with electric has electrification in the name of the of the vehicle. The, I mean, if and it hasn't been we haven't had a Thunderbird in so many years. So, so I you're mean, saying that thunder is electric, Sammy? Tell me more. That's all I know. Tell me tell me more about meteorology. That's all I know. <laughs> okay, well we're going to skim over that and get to the next question <laughs> that Gary had. Which was, he asked us about the ID3, which is a Volkswagen electric vehicle that Volkswagen has wisely chosen not to tarnish with one of its uh, many... They should have called it the, uh, what was the name of the... The (laughs) E-Beetle. No, uh, The Corrado, they should have called it the Corrado, we all know that. So we have some good news and some bad news. Um, The good news is this vehicle is coming out in Europe mid-next year. And they're going to offer a bunch of different versions. They'll have 261 to 340 miles of range... uh, Gary asked if we uh, he's he's from Canada, and so that's about 420 to 550 kilometers, which is pretty good. And they're going to sell it around 30,000 euro, which is I think roughly equivalent to 40 50,000 yeah. dollars US, maybe and, and and a bit more in Canada. But we don't know if this is coming to Canada. Uh, eventually, I would think it's coming to both Canada and the United States, but Volkswagen. It's really hard to tell what products are going to bring over. Things are in flux right now with what they're trying to decide. The Golf's future, uh, they don't necessarily – they're trying to decide um, what their SUV lineup's going to look like. We, we were talking about the T-Rock or what was the other one, Sammy? T-Rock and the T-Cross. T-Rock and T-Cross. So it's kind of up in the air. Um, it's going to have 100-watt charging, which is pretty good for the base model. And you'll have 125-kilowatt charging on the um, the top-tier model. But uh, it's, it's a good-looking vehicle. It looks like – I mean, we're at the – I think we finally reached the inflection point where you're, you're going to have major competition for Tesla. And I think vehicles like the Mach-E, obviously, I mean, it's less expensive than a Model E – than a Model X. And it's built a lot better. And the ID3, it's going to be a competitor for the Model 3 because it's not going to be luxury oriented. Sam, Sammy, what do you think of the ID3? Okay, well, I want to I want to go back on. We can't jump to conclusions. Say the Mach E will be better built than than the Model. You don't, you don't think Ford builds better vehicles than Tesla? Just in terms okay, of quality. I didn't say I didn't say that. I'm just saying Ford has shown the capability to to make a higher quality, better quality. <laughs> Did you get I'm a just, l- lawyer's letter from Ford or something? <laughs> Be careful how you talk about the Blue Oval, Sammy. Yeah. I'm just saying, um, Ford has had some quality control issues in the past. I I don't think they're up to the same standards as Tesla's quality control has been. Um, and, of course, there are some other features that are in the Model 3 and Model X that involve, like, um, the driver's assistance and safety features that are pretty impressive, too. But the Model the, – the Mach-E just seems – like a good bargain price-wise and performance-wise and range-wise that it seems like it'll be difficult to top no matter what brand and what style of vehicle you're looking at. Well, I, I don't know be- what the I don't know what the scale of it is. I don't know what it looks like how big it actually is because people are calling it a crossover and I don't know if it's a compact crossover, subcompact crossover. I don't know how much space it is. And the interior looks a little bare from the photos I've seen, but I don't know what trim level that is. What's interesting, but, too, is we had the e-tron come out very recently within this right. year, and it has significantly less less range. I think 80 miles less. Yeah. So that's a pretty big deal. Absolutely. And then going to this Volkswagen, I agree with you. I really wish I had a better understanding of what Volkswagen's strategy would be um, in North America because – um, the Volkswagen Group 
has a lot of really exciting electric vehicles um, in the pipeline from Audi, Porsche, um, Volkswagen. I think all of them together are going to be developing some really good vehicles. And they need to, they need to leverage all of that technology into all of the different brands that we have um, across the world. So the ID3, I think, would be, would be a really good it, – it, it looks a little bit smaller um, than, let's say, what that Mach-E was. Um, so maybe this would be a little bit more affordable, but the pricing from Euro to North American currency just wouldn't, wouldn't translate. So if anyone who's listening right now has some questions or, uh, ideas or concepts or just wondering about something in the automotive world that you want us to talk about on the podcast, you can get in touch with us just like Gary did and everyone else who wrote in this past week. By well, there's a bunch of different ways. You can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and there's a contact form on that page. We get a lot of people writing into us like that. You can reach out to us on social media. Sammy is on the cesspool. It is Twitter, and you can reach him at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, or you can find me on Instagram, which is honestly a much friendlier place at Hunting Benjamin, or even email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Um, another thing to point out is when you go to our website unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You can subscribe to our podcast using a bunch of different podcast, uh, podcatcher buttons at the top. So we're there with Google, Pod, uh, Google Podcasts, Google Play Music, uh, Apple iTunes, and um, I think CastBox as well. If we're not there for your favorite um, application, just search for us in, your, in that application. I'm certain we'll be there. If we're not, please let us know and we'll try to figure it out. Or send an angry letter to your podcatcher. Absolutely. So and next that, week, yes, Ben. Yeah, no, I was about to ask you about next week. You want to ask me about next week? I was going to ask you about next week. Well, next week, I'm going to be talking about two SUVs that we've talked about in the past, but I had a chance to drive them back to back, the the Hyundai Palisade and the Kia Telluride, which are based on the same platform, but as I discovered, offer a fairly different uh, experience behind the wheel. Excellent. I love talking about these two cars right now. They're, I think they're, they're the um, two of the most important cars that dropped this year. And for myself, I'm going to be talking to you about a prototype I drove. Um, it's the BMW 2 Series Grand Coupe. So you're going, to love, you're going to want to hear about that. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will hear from you next week and talk to you next week. See you.